Well, happy Father's Day. And God's people said, yeah, man, pretty fun, huh? Well, this morning we find ourselves over in the book of Jonah. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, would you go there with me? Two weeks ago, I started the Minor Prophets, some forgotten books, and we did uh, the book of Joel, and that was the flea invasion Sunday. Remember, we were next door? Yeah, thank God we got rid of those. So we're here today. Uh, no fish, okay? No fish, no bad illustrations. So today, I love this story of Jonah. It's only four chapters long, and uh, you can sit down in a quick reading and, and go through this book and uh, just read it and understand the incredible story of how Jonah encounters God in the belly of a well. You know, there's been so much discussion over the years about this. Is it a, uh, was it really real? Is it an allegory? Was it literal? No, 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 no. And then you even find Jesus referring to the historical figure of a guy named Jonah. And I believe it's incredibly true and real to life. And it's just an amazing feat of God's power. And uh, he says, you don't want a sign for you, you old wicked generation. You seek signs, but the sign of the prophet of Jonah, who was in the, in the belly of the well, and he stayed in the belly of the well for how many days? Three days. And Jesus stayed in the belly of the earth. How many days? Three days. And you see that whole three-day theme. So it's very powerful, and it, it really takes us forward that we could see Christ a little clearer. Uh, but it's a, it's a, I would just say Jonah is a story of resurrection. You know, our faith is based on the foundation of an historical person named Jesus, that he came and lived a perfect and beautiful and sin, sinless life, gave his life as a ransom for many, and he was crucified and buried, and on the third day he ascended from the dead, and he reigns and he lives forevermore. And here it is, so there's a resurrection for, for Jonah that he gets out of the belly of a well. It's, it's always interesting to look at geographic, National Geographic things about these huge wells, and could a person really be swallowed by a well? And, I think there's no doubt, absolutely, I think history would say it, but God does. And here, here's what I know about Jonah. It shows the outrageous, stubborn love of God. Are y'all thankful this morning that God is madly in love with each one of us, and he is stubborn about not relenting from his love, and that he has a desire that all would come to faith and repentance in his son, Jesus Christ? Is anybody grateful for that today? Yeah, so here he goes to a people, the Ninevites, and man, they are a, the Assyrian Empire. It is wickedness to a new power that we'll talk about this morning. And yet God loves this people. He loves this wicked folk. And look right across the top at the message truth. The book of Jonah is all about the will of God and how we respond to it. Jonah got into trouble because his attitude stunk. Because it literally did. Just thought I'd do a play on words. His attitude was wrong. And you and I, we get in trouble the same way when our attitude does not align with Scripture, when our attitude doesn't align with the Lord, we tend to miss the mark. We tend to go off where God would have for us. Now, I want you to fill in real quick. There's, I, I could have done P's, and, uh, but I did one F in there just to kind of keep you honest. The, whole, the first one is fleeing, the fleeing prophet. But I could have used another P. could have been the prodigal that Jonah was as he left and he ends up coming back and then he has a whining problem anyway. But God sees the wickedness of a nation, of a people. And God is hurt by that. He, he knows it's wrong and he's going to, when you read the Old Testament and you see that God annihilates people that don't live in his way and he can't stand for that. That's why Christ had to come to pay for our sin. 
And when I keep thinking about who we are as a nation today, I'm thinking, man, we're a wicked generation too. We're saying, well, we're not as cruel or as harsh as maybe the Assyrians were. Well, maybe not. But would y'all agree that we're a wicked nation? Would anybody agree with that? We are. We were founded on Judeo-Christian ethics and values and convictions, but man, has our nation departed from that. You know, one writer that I was reading weeks ago, he said, in our day, did you, anybody, would anybody have thought 30 years ago that America would find itself fighting for pro-marriage, fighting for marriage covenant between a man and a woman? People said, no. And they said, okay, that's where we've gotten to today. It said in the next 30 years, this, this was a prophetic guy, he says, I believe that our nation would possibly be into the sin of bestiality. It just, it's like sin knows no ends. And these little prophets, because they're little books, they talk about nations need to turn back to God. They, they've missed the mark. So it's fleeing here. God cares about our condition here. I think God cares about America. But let me just tell you some things I learned about the Assyrians. They were full of lies. They were full of robbery. Brutality was rampant. They would cut the heads off the people that they were in prison, and then they would mount their skulls up as you would come into the cities. They had like some 1,500 towers, and they would have these skulls lit up or, or mounted upon one another as the people came in. People were scared of the Assyrians. When we think about ISIS and the brutality of, of that regime, I think about here, the Assyrians. That's why, let me tell you, that's why Jonah did not want to go to the Ninevites. He knew they were bad. They didn't like Jews. <laughs> they, he, he thought, man, they'll have my head. They'll have my skull. They deserve to die. They deserve judgment. God, I know that you will relent. God, I know you will change. God, I know you will love them. God, I know you will forgive them. He was all about his forgiveness, but he wasn't about their forgiveness. So then as you read Jonah, you see that he ends up getting mad at him. And he's just like, man, you know, there's all these decisions that he needs to make. And he's like, look at it there in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So he just says, Jonah, you're a prophet to the nation. I want you to go and I want you to proclaim the message of me. But Lord, don't you know? They're Assyrians. They're, they're bad people. They pile up skulls. They're not for us. It, it's, man, this nation, they have horrible reputation. God, I, I don't want to die. Jonah, I love the Ninevites. I've commissioned you to go. You've probably read the story when we were young or read it recently. Jonah goes, no, I'm not going. Matter of fact, I'm going to go far away. I'm going to escape another 2,000 miles instead of taking this really relatively short journey. I'm going to go to a place where I can get off on the seaside and I can just escape and let the wind and the sea just blow on my face and through my hair, and I'm not going to go. Mm -mm -mm. Have you ever told God no? Just write that in the margin today. Have you ever told God no, I won't do something? He's triumphant, sovereign king. That doesn't go well when we tell God. So he, he fled the presence of the Lord on a journey that was at least 2,000 miles the opposite direction. It's like, you know, you're saying, God says, I want you to go to Orange Beach and I want you to preach the gospel to the people. And you end up in Illinois or you end up somewhere else in D.C. or well, that wouldn't be 2,000 miles. But you'd go somewhere else. Like, no, no, but he said, go there. No, Lord, I don't want to go there. Well, that's where his presence was. That's where God was leading Jonah to go. So there's so many applications for you and I to pull out of this. 
And wrong concepts, I want you to write this down. Wrong concepts of God always bring about wrong behavior. When you and I have a false idea or thought about God and we begin to embrace it, adhere to that philosophy or the philosophies of this world, it brings about a behavior that, which is inconsistent, incompatible with Scripture. So there's so many principles that I see when I continue to study the Word of God in Jonah and as he goes off to do his own thing. But, you know, Jonah, Jonah was prejudiced. That's not a bad word to talk about in contemporary world. We hear a lot about it. We're going to hear a lot of political rhetoric now about it. And, and I think the, the message right now we need to be hearing about is grace and forgiveness as the people of Charleston have uh, expressed. And, and, and I'm thankful for that example. But a lot of our far left and commentators and different people, they're trying to make this something else. And let's just go ahead and play this card and that card. And it just really gets ugly. So the storms of life will come. Jonah found that out. A storm came to him. Matter of fact, he caused such a storm. What did the guys do? They fed him a Subway sandwich. That's not what the Bible says. What did they do? They got his little fanny, that's in the, in the Greek, and, and they threw, they didn't, it's not really be Hebrew anyway, they threw him overboard. Now how many of, have, has anybody ever been thrown out of a boat before? You're like, well, no, boats are made for riding. Let me tell you about the mental capacity of your pastor. I, I think that's what's wrong with me today. When I was young, we had a lake place, and I spent a lot of time on Lake Morton water skiing. And I skied three or four days a week. I'd slalom and barefoot and do all that kind of fun stuff. Now I just think my back hurts just thinking about it. And so sometimes for kicks, I had these buddies, and I don't know where they got this idea. They went, we're going to take a ride in the boat, and we're going to run up at least a 40 miles an hour, and we're just going to jump out. We did that for fun. I mean, who does that? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it explains a lot to you about what's wrong with my head today, because I'm sure I landed. I mean, I, 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 I can't believe I said that, because I don't want any of you to, students, don't try that, okay? It's not, it's not good for your body. It doesn't give you good. So at any moment, here, here's this violence. Here's, here's this violent people. Here's these Assyrians, and, and God's like, they're at Nineveh. God's like, but I love them, Jonah. I, I want you to carry my message to them. So you, you go down through chapter 1, and in verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was about to be broken up. And then the mariners were afraid, all the people on the crew, and every man cried out to his God because they didn't know the real God, Jehovah. And they threw the car cargo that was in the ship, the, the light and the load. But Jonah had gone on down to the lowest parts of the ship, and he laid down. And guess what Jonah was doing? He's a bomb. He went to sleep. Have any of you ever been on the water? Have you ever noticed the tranquility of the water and you can go to sleep rather quickly on a calm or here he's asleep and they wake him up they go what have you done whose God is yours I mean what I find out the pagan people on the ship that Jonah found himself they were more spiritual at this point than Jonah Jonah's like well man you know I, I, I've sinned against God and look at verse 8 then they said to him please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us what is your occupation where did you come from what is your country and what people and of what people are you so he said to them I'm a Hebrew I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land that was a lie wasn't it there was a time where he did, and he, he returns to that. But right now, he's like, ah, whatever. The men were exceedingly afraid. They said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then he said to them, what shall we do? 
The sea may be calm, that the sea may be calm, for the sea was, was growing more uh, in a wild manner. And he said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow against them. And therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge with us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleases you. And these are pagans. <laughs> They've got it more down than Jonah does. I mean, at this point, you know, Jonah's not like my hero. And, and here, here's the point that I see from Jonah. The first word was fleeing. Jonah is just running from God. And I want you to see this line. The journey away from God will always lead you and I to a life of distress. If you want to live in a distressful, stress-filled, anxiety-ridden state of life, run from God Flee God. Distress will overcome you. You're saying, Pastor, I know something about that. One time, a few years ago, last week, today, where I find myself now, I'm choosing my way over God's. I'm apart from his will for my life. God wants you to know his will. The will's not like something you find one time. God's will is an ongoing, continual development on your life. And you go, you go astray, and it just, it, it just throws you crazy. So there's... You know what I see here? There's a wake-up call. Just write it in the margin. There's, there's a wake-up call here. There's a wake-up call for us as we draw application from the story of Jonah. But Jonah gets a wake-up call because God does love Jonah. See, everybody used to say, well, Jonah is a missionary book. And it does have a missionary focus to it. But really, what I really see when I dig down on Jonah... I see that God is madly, outrageously, stunningly in love with a man named Jonah. And he pursues him. And that same God that pursued Jonah is pursuing us today, and we're choosing to flee maybe. Maybe we're choosing to get up close. When you run from God's will, write it down, you're headed for misery. You're in distress, but you're, you're headed for misery. It's not going to do well for you, friend. It's never done for me. It just, it, it is since the word stupid. You get out of the will of God, and you just make a lot of mistakes. And I, I know too much about that. Matter of fact, I wrote down a couple of thoughts here. What do you learn from this story? Don't run from God. Recognize God in the storm, in the middle of the storm. And I love this thought. God loves to give second chances. Am I surrounded by people of second chances today? Wait a minute. Am I surrounded by people of the second chance? I love the God of the second chance. Because I mess up. I miss the mark. I think he's the God of the third chance and the fourth chance. I don't know how many chances you get. But eventually, as I talked about Joel, eventually those chances are over and it's too late. And I'm thinking, now, nah, man, this is good, God. So you give, you give multiple chances to us. And this journey away from you is not well. And then as I, I just kept studying Jonah. I've read it for year after year. And I thought, well, what's the theme? God, give me the theme for Jonah. And I'll give it to you in one word. Mercy. God had mercy on Nineveh. God had mercy on Jonah. God had mercy on you and me. How many of you love a merciful God this morning? Man, he's full of mercy. And those mercies were new this morning. Just write down Psalm 107. And when you have some time, maybe this afternoon, this evening, just look at Psalm 107 and see how God pities 
us as a father pities or the child and he pities us and he has mercy on us and his loving kindness and we shouldn't neglect him here so i'll go god fleeing look at the second one praying as you move on to chapter two you see that jonah look what he says and then jonah prayed to the lord because you know i mean he's in verse 17 you know the lord prepared a fish and the fish swallowed him and he's he's covered up with gastric juices and sea seaweeds on his head and he's got bleached out skin and do y'all think Jonah stunk? I bet he was like, I mean, d- come on, dude. When you wake up in the morning, does your breath stink? Ask your spouse right now. They go, yeah, you stink. Oh, here, this guy, I mean, I know some of you are like, oh, we've just been married. Well, get over that. Okay, because it's going to change. They're going to tell you one day, your breath stinks, okay? And look what he says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Jonah found himself in a, in a place of desperation. He found himself where God, the hound of heaven, was pursuing him. And he found himself with the God of the second chance. And I keep driving that this morning because I'm just wondering, this morning you're saying, but Keith, if you knew what I've done. I'm telling you, I, I preached this two weeks ago. And I remember it all the time. I prayed it this week. I'm, I'm, I've got a counseling session coming up that I'm praying God will restore that which the locust has eaten. And this verse is another theme. And God not only restores here, He's the God of the second chance. God can take our brokenness. God can take our screw-ups. God can take our messes, and he can redeem them for his good. I told you two weeks ago, do not let your failures define you. Is that a good word? Don't let your past define you. Let Christ define you this morning and who he's called you to be. So let's continue to go. So praying here, look at what it says. No more delay. Jonah, look, you've been rebellious long enough. No more delay, son. I, 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 want you, I want you to do something. I, I've got something for you to do. I told you not to escape and go to a faraway place. I told you, I didn't, I didn't tell you to go down here to Joppa. I, I, I told you that I want you to go and I want you to preach to the Ninevites. Now, son, you, you, you need to get with it. I, I'd love to have a lot more of the conversation that God had with him. So I, I see a principle, don't clean the worthless idols. As a matter of fact, look over at uh, chapter 2. Move on down here. The waters surround me in verse 5. Even to my soul, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. That's pretty ugly. Look at verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord, and my prayer went up to you in your holy temple. Verse 8. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Whole message in there about idols. And idols are anything that make our hearts grow toward, cool toward God. Anything that makes my heart and your heart grow cold toward God is an idol. And here in just verse 8, I just, I, I just highlight it. Those who regard worthless idols, they forsake mercy. God, help us not to be people there. Lord, revival. The, word, the Bible says the word came to Jonah. The word came to a people. Every revival that I've ever studied or read about, it always operated focused on the word the word of god came to the people the people responded to the word and revival broke out so god make us a people of the book make us a people that have a mission like jonah had whatever the reason was god doesn't take disobedience very well his son died for our disobedience for our sin for our missing the mark so god's not into that he's like keith i don't like it when you do it. i don't like it when the congregation does it uh you know if, if you want to be used by me then obey me Jonah, 
I got something for you to do. I, I want you to get going. So, so you're looking here in verse 2 with me. And then move, move all the way over here to chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord, there it is, came, verse 1, to Jonah the second time. See, God didn't give up. He's a guy of the second chance. There's a principle. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach the message, I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly uh, great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 40 days, Nineveh, and you'll be wiped out. Now, Jonah was not known for his compassion. And God puts Jonah through the school of compassion. But Jonah, he didn't, he didn't like Ninevites. I already told you why they were so wicked and so bad. He's like, no. I don't, I don't want them to repent. I don't want them to change. And that's really odd. Can you imagine a revivalist, a, an evangelist coming to a city and having all these conversions and all these changed lives and then go, I hate Montgomery. I hate the people in Montgomery. I hated that 240,000 people repented in Montgomery and the entire city, the river region, 280,000, 300,000 people came to Christ. But I hate them. That, that was Jonah's attitude. Because from what I can read in Scripture, it was the biggest revival. I mean, Billy Graham's had some big revivals, and over decades they've been monster, but they're not like this. The Bible says that Jonah preached in the entire nation. All the Assyrians, they repented. They turned to God. I'm going, wow. Lord, may that spirit fall on this church. May that spirit fall on our city. I mean, it's just a great principle here. The obedience of Jonah is you begin to start tracking down. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh, look what it says in, in the New King James. It says they believe God. If your translation says that or something close, circle it. They believe God. They believe his word. They believe the message. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The king took the lead here. And he arose from his throne. He laid aside his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth. He sat in ashes and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Guys, it wasn't just the people fasted, the animals fasted, everything fasted. It was powerful. And God let everyone turn from his evil way from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And then God saw their works that they turned and that they had turned from their evil way. And God relented from a disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. God did not destroy Nineveh at this point because they what? They obeyed God. Just a powerful uh, concept for us that Nineveh or Jonah finally got up and did what he's supposed to do. He was to go and tell. See, we have a philosophy today, and I understand. I read it in the Gospel of John. Come and see all the disciples, and like, come, 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 come and see this Jesus. But then sometimes in Scripture we see, but go. I want you to go and fulfill the Great Commission. I want you to go and tell the people. I want you to go and do this. I want you to go and tell. So a lot of times we get our marching orders. We just like, just come see, come see. And, and I talk about that around here, that we create an environment that people can come and experience the gospel. And I think that's great. But there's a time that the church has to rise up, get off its proverbial duff, and it has to rise up and go and proclaim the message of Christ. Amen? Do you all agree with me, church? We have to go and tell. You're saying, oh, man, I'm, I'm not going to this wicked place. Well, there's all things about racism, being prejudiced against nations, and on and on and on that we can learn the principles if we spent a year in Jonah and we won't. But it's a serious here revival. Leaders lead not only in vision, direction, but they also lead in holiness. 
They lead in the ways after Christ. Even the king here, he rose up from his throne and he began to do business with God and decreed it for the people. It was a, it was a powerful act of worship to God. A hundred, listen guys, a hundred and twenty thousand repented. He gave them less than a thousand hours to repent. He said in 40 days, if you don't do this, you will be destroyed. Let, all right, look at it this way. Start today, it's 1102. If you started right now and went a thousand hours from now and our city didn't change, it's not very long, is it? I mean, it was a quick thing and the Bible says that they changed. So a principle I get is don't box others from receiving the gospel. Just don't box people out. Look at, look at this, I gotta, I gotta get there with you. So there's fleeing, there's praying. The third P here was preaching. <laughs> That's what I've been doing, sorry guys. There's great preaching here, running with God. No more delay. Go and do that quickly. That's what I'm talking about. Go and tell. I think you see the whole concept. So there's the prodigal fleeing, praying, preaching. No more delay. And then let's look at the last one as I bring this thing home. Then he's like, so Jonah, you see this. You see the big change. And then Jonah, he's a big crybaby. He goes and pouts. He goes and pouts up under a little plant. And, 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 and the worm comes and it destroys your thing. And he starts pouting. And he's just dadgum Eeyore. He's just, he's pitiful. He pouts. How many of you think your kids are attractive when they pout? And that little bottom lip drags. All right, let me ask you this. How many of you think you're cute when you pout? Let me let you in on something. Nobody thinks it's cute. Nobody. Hey, I know how to pout. Hey, this, hey, y'all, let's all, we're going to have a class this Tuesday night, how to pout in Jesus' name. Would y'all come? We don't, we don't need to be taught that. That's like having a selfish class. I mean, you know, like, hey, would y'all come to the selfish class? No, everybody knows how to do that. So four, here it is, four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He became angry. Oh, bless his heart. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? And there... And I was still in, uh, I fled previously to Tarshish. And I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then, then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry, son? I added, son. Okay. So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter. He set it under the shade to the... Um, that he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come over Jonah, and it might be a shade for his head to deliver him from his misery and from the sunshine. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant, but as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. A, a worm. What a worm. A worm. I love that. And it so damaged the plant, it ravaged it, that it withered. And it happened. And when the sun arose and God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself. And it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, Jonah, man, he's classic powder. I mean, there's nothing beautiful about it. So I want you to see this last comment. This is critical. Spiritual maturity is when our concerns match up with God's concerns. That is the reality of real spiritual maturity. God's heart, God's agenda matches up, or my agenda, my heart matches up with God's heart, with his agenda. And God's concern was for Jonah. His concern was for Nineveh. You know what I see about Jonah? Jonah was about him. He was about himself. Jonah was about me. And I see so many lessons from this life of this man that's, that is a godly man and he flees and he does these things and he, he knows. And I, I thought about this. Jonah did not grasp the greatness of God. 
He knew that God was merciful to the guilty because God had been merciful to him. But he didn't want them to be, God to be merciful to the Ninevites. He knew that God was compassionate on weak humanity, but he didn't want him to be compassionate to the Ninevites. He knew that God was great in mercy and to have mercy, but he didn't want God to have mercy on the people. So let me just bring it, and let's be honest. I, I've been studying this for a week. And I don't know where you are today. I can't look in your heart. But Dylan, the young man that took those lives, I, I cannot imagine. I've been teaching the Word of God for 37 years. I've taught thousands of Bible studies. I've invited teenagers and adults to join me in the study of God's Word forever. This church, this house has been open for God's Word. Various people have taught the Word of God here for years. Could you imagine, tell us one Wednesday night that you just invited somebody into your women and it's the house of hope and the house of love and a lot of good food. And can you just imagine somebody coming in and sitting down with Mrs. Eldon and everybody else and Debbie and all the people and say, glory, glory, and loving you and all that. And at the end of that Bible study, choosing to turn on that group and kill these innocent people. And I've, so I've been thinking about this story a lot and then I thought, but God loves Dylan. I know some of you right now, you're like, Pastor, Pastor, do you know what he did? I do. It was horrible. But let me tell you something before you feel too good about yourself. You're a sinner that needs the blood of Christ to cover your sin. And I love it when Charleston somehow could find the spiritual resolve to love a man that's so unlovable, a man that is so, I mean, I can't even describe, I mean, it's horrible. But are you praying for Dylan? Are you praying for Dylan to believe the gospel? Some of these people are beginning to find grace and forgiveness in their faith. I was watching Fox News yesterday and today, and I just love when they'll come on. And then they went and uh, interviewed former Governor, Governor Huckabee in just solid proclamation of the love of Jesus Christ. Former pastor, I don't know if you knew that. He did. And he said, I don't know that I have that kind of love. He said, the people of Charleston have shamed me by the maturity of their love and their concern. Will this preach? Did you know God decided this series months ago? And this week, this horrific thing hit, and I was angry and emotions and all this. And then God started saying, you just like Jonah, my boy. You just like Jonah. You don't like Dylan. You don't like that. I love people. Just write on your outline today, God values people above everything. Guys, I'm preaching. I've studied this. I could preach for another hour, and somebody say, please don't. And worship team, I'm just going to invite y'all to come because I, I gave y'all a place. Sometimes I give them a ramp to get on with me, but hey, I, just, I had to get that. So I'm reading this story of Jonah, and I'm seeing all the applications for 2015. And look what it says. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? See, Jonah... He was more upset about the plant than he was Ninevites. Matter of fact, he didn't like the Ninevites. Is it right for me to be angry even to death? But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up at night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who could not discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? Guys, this is God's word for God's people to apply it 
If I teach Jonah one more time, I, I, I taught on Jonah, I did a whole series on Jonah about seven, eight years ago, and I just wanted to hit him in the mind of prophets. And I'll be interested to see what the, the point will be next time. But I leave here and I'm going, Jonah, I need to have mercy. I'm learning God is a merciful God. I need to be merciful to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the greatness of Jesus this morning and that we're candidates for grace and we need your love. And Father, I pray that we would somehow find spiritual maturity in our journey with Christ. God, we find ourselves with divided hearts, if we're honest, but worthy is Jesus. What matters to you, Heavenly Father, is that people matter to you. People that are far from the cross of Christ, you want us to go and share the love of Christ with them. I thank you, Lord, that that's what I can walk away saying, I don't want to pout, but I want to praise. I want to praise the God of heaven. Lord, I don't want to complain like Jonah. I want to celebrate the greatness of our God. Father, get, it, get us in on celebrating the goodness of the Lord, because complaining is not attractive. Lord, this plant illustrates your goodness and your grace. Lord, they had a problem. Jonah had a problem, and Lord, maybe we've got a problem today. Show us our sin this morning, Father. And Lord, I go back to verse 9. I will never worship anyone but you, for how can I thank you enough for all you have done? I will surely fulfill my promises, for my deliverance comes from the Lord alone. Our hope, our salvation comes from Jesus. Right now, friend, I'm closing. Are you a runner? Have you run from God? Have you run from the will of God? Don't keep running. I got two words. Come home. Come home today. Have courage and come to the cross and see your sin for what it is. And see a blessed Savior with arms open wide saying, I want you to be in my family. I want you to receive me today. We offer this prayer to you, King Jesus. You're a mighty God. You're rich in mercy and grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. This morning, I don't want you to leave. Just for the next few minutes, we're going to do a powerful song. We've been singing this song around here for years. This song makes me think I'm in heaven with you already. So rise to your feet. Everybody rise. It's called Revelation Song. I think it's a song we're going to sing to the Lamb forever. Rachel, team, lead us in this beautiful song. Come on, church. Sing out. You say, I can't sing. Oh, sing to him.